It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. Alrighty, for today's Locked On Reds, I have with me my friend Drew Cook from the Blog Red Machine, hailing from the wonderful city of Louisville. Drew, how's everything going for you today? I'm doing good, Jeff. How about yourself, my friend? I cannot complain. And you know what? In in the interest of full disclosure, I gotta uh, apologize on the podcast because I made you wait a few minutes. I had this really awesome Italian dinner. And my wife and I just decided that a nap was in order. And that nap lasted way too long. And <laughs> I want to thank you for being so cool and not being like, well, psh, F this guy and his fancy podcast. He has to take a nap. <laughs> Thanks for still coming on, man. Oh, no problem, brother. No problem. Hey, I, I get it. I had takeout the night myself. We did Thai this evening. So Italian hmm. Thai, it's all good. It's all relative. It's just a, it was a good night for it, a rainy day and stuff. It's the kind of day that makes you wish there was some live baseball on TV. Oh, man, give me, give me some baseball. You know, what is it, the KBO's getting ready to start up or uh, yes. the Korean Baseball Organization? I mean, at this point, man, just, just give me anything. I'm ready for baseball. Let's go. We've got, speaking of Thai food, we've got Lisa Alberto Benia in Thailand, and we've got Dan Straley in Korea. I mean, all kind of red action going on here. But uh, That's right. <laughs> I want to talk about, let's, let's, let's start off with uh, the piece that you have up at blogredmachine.com about another pitcher, a current Reds pitcher in Trevor Bauer. And, and we're talking about the tweet that he had sent out to Joe Burrow congratulating him and I think it's cool because he kind of went a little further, and this is where the essence of your article comes in, I believe. He goes a little bit further and he says, big things coming to Cincinnati sports in the next couple of years. Tell me a little bit, uh, just kind of high-level overview of your article, and we'll go from there. Well, I mean, you know, we actually had some semblance of sports back this last weekend with the NFL draft, right? So we got to see Joe Burrow come to Cincinnati. So hopefully uh, any Bengals fans listening to the podcast can get a little bit excited as well. I think uh, big things for the Bengals. But, uh, you know, Bauer is always really active on social media. So nothing ever really surprises me that he puts out there. But the the key phrase in his in his tweet was the next couple of years. and. Right. You know, I guess we always like to read into things a little bit more than there might be there sometimes. Uh, you know, obviously Bauer is a free agent at the end of the year. So, you know, it's going to be his choice to a certain extent whether or not he wants to come back to Cincinnati and play with the Reds after 2020. But, you know, if I were in his shoes, I wouldn't uh, put a message out there saying the next couple of years if I hadn't planned on uh, being part of it. So I, I would say if nothing else, it gives people the indication that 
he'll at the very least consider a return to Cincinnati beyond the 2020 season. The point that you bring up later on in your post, and I totally agree with this, is that there has been no vibe and and really nothing to the effect that he has put out there that says that he doesn't want to come back to Cincinnati. He's not like putting out things like, boy, I can't wait to live on the beach or man, I really miss the mountains or I don't know if he's ever been to the mountains. I don't know. He's not saying anything <laughs> like that. So that's the good thing. And when you look at that, I, I think that the still the idea of him signing one-year deals, I think the Reds do check those boxes. And if we ever get some kind of baseball, he'll check that winning box. I, I, I wonder exactly because the, the biggest question that I have with him, and it's kind of something that I've been talking with a couple of different people about, is how big do you think – all right, for instance, hypothetical, and we can uh, kind of expound on this as well, the Yankees come up and they say, here's $20 million. And the Reds come up and they say, here's $15 million. Is he going with the bigger offer because of the money? Or how, do you, how would you uh, work through that? You know, I mean, Bauer's a very, I don't know, mercurial might be the right word to describe him. He's, Ooh. you know, he's, he's a very interesting, he's an interesting cat, I guess is a good way to put it. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he said he wants to feel respected. He said he wants to play for a team that relies on technology. He said he wants to win. He said he wants to sign one-year deals. Like, not, never once has he said that the money is the end-all be-all to what, you know, he wants to do. That being said, I think a lot of what we've seen, especially in free agency lately in baseball, is, you know, these guys don't want to hurt the fellow players coming behind them. Mm-hmm. So if, if Bauer were to say accept $5 million less from a team like the Reds as, as opposed to the Yankees, then the next player that comes behind him who puts up a stellar season and, you know, are they w- going to be willing to take less? It's kind of like what Yasmani Grandal did when he, you know, kind of made a stand and said, I wanted to get paid like, uh, you know, some of the best catchers in the league before he signed on with the White Sox this last offseason. So right. I don't know if Bauer would go that route. But again, he's he's an odd bird in some respects. So it really wouldn't – honestly, nothing is off the table with him. I think it seems like he has a good relationship with uh, Derek Johnson. And I think that the Reds have put a lot into their pitching uh, as far as, um, you know, the staff is concerned with, uh, you know, bringing in his buddy from driveline and uh, other guys like that. So they put an emphasis on what Bauer's looking for. And I don't know how many other teams reach that same mark where the Reds are at. So if the money's close, maybe he leans a little bit towards Cincinnati in that regard. The the other question that I have when it comes to Trevor Bauer is something of a sort of like if he actually does leave. And this is a weird question because I am not asking it from the standpoint of, well, he had a six ERA with the team last year. How big a loss can he be? I firmly believe he's a lot better than that. He was just he was working on some stuff. I I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for him. I just believe he's a better pitcher. That being said, when you look at it and say that maybe he does go to a different team for whatever number of reasons or one reason or however millions and all that good stuff, how much different, how much worse off is the rotation actually going to be? 
I think some of that depends on what you're looking at on the other side of it. So I think we could say that, so if, if Bauer doesn't return after 2020, then you're looking at at least Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray, and then Wade Miley has an extra year on his deal. So you've got mm-hmm. at least three of your starters. Dee Sclafani, to me, is a fantastic option for Cincinnati to re-sign yes. because I think they might be able to get him a little bit cheaper. I mean, production versus value, I kind of look at him and Bauer a little bit in the same light. And I guess what I mean by that is I think you can get a player like Dee Sclafani with maybe a, a on on a much less expensive deal and get production that's not going to be as good as Bauer, but it's going to make you know it's going to make the money meet where the reds would usually want it to so it's not going to break the bank but they're going to get a solid pitcher in disco uh for a couple more seasons uh if they wanted to go that route and then i guess you got to look down on the farm system and say is nick lodolo you know better than what trevor bauer is going to put out there is there a free agent that they would chase um you got you know tony santion out there uh, Hunter Green's probably not going to be ready for another couple years. So I guess Lodolo's your next option up. And, you know, with the way minor league baseball could turn out this year, you don't really know what kind of development you're looking at from him. So there's just so many variables with that. I I hesitate to say they'd be, you know, I, I don't think they'd be better off without Bauer. But I think that they can supplement that in enough ways if they bring back DeSclafani in addition. I think if, if you don't get Bauer, I think you've got to bring Disco back. I think, you know, after what Disco put up last year, I think he put up some phenomenal numbers. I think he was top 20 in the NL and ERA and top 20 in strikeouts. So those aren't numbers to shy away from. And if you can get him on a good, solid, valuable-type deal, um, provided he's able to have another complete season— um, I think you might be able to get more value out of him than you could a player like Trevor Bauer. He is heading to his first ever round of free agency is Anthony DiSclafani, currently making $5.9 million, according to BaseballReference.com. He'll be 31 after he signs that first free agent deal. I definitely don't think it's without the realm of possibility to assume that he's getting a sizable raise. I don't know that he's going to get, you know, what Bauer gets, which is where the value does come in there. I wonder, like, maybe, I don't know, eight, nine million a year for three or four years, maybe three or two years, really. Something to spitball and wonder about because I bet. If that is the case, if we're looking at those numbers, that's a, at least half of what Bauer would make next year, if not more than half of what he'll make. So it'll be interesting to see how the Reds approach that. And then also, that is assuming free agency on a regular level. I mean, do you think with the way that this year has gone that we will see free agency like we did this past year, or will it be different? No, I, I don't even think free agency will be close to the realm. Uh, that we uh, saw this last year. In fact, with, you know, I mean, obviously MLB is going to be taking a loss in their revenue just given the current situation. And in saying that, I I think it's very likely that a player like Castellanos has his option, you know, picks up his option, or I should say doesn't opt out sure. just to have a guaranteed contract. I mean, not to say that he wouldn't get signed, but I mean, I think he's on the slate for maybe $14 million in 2021. And given what's out there as far as um, 
you know, what teams are going to be willing to pay for free agents, I think you're going to see not a big spending spree from anybody this next year just because their pocketbooks are going to be hit so hard from not having uh, baseball for a full season. So it, this free agent class, it's going to take a hit on them. And I think you may see you may see a lot of Trevor Bauer one one year prove it deals um, just to kind of get back in the swing of things. And then, uh, you know, hopefully we get a full season in 2021 and then these players can kind of prove that they can actually get a two, three, four, five year contract extension um, and actually, you know, make that multimillion dollars that they're always looking for. We're about to jump into some talk about the plans to get baseball back going and also some favorite memories of ours of being Reds fans. But before we jump into all of that, I wanted to remind you of the deal that we've got going on with Postmates. You download the Postmates app and you enter promo code LOCKED ON to get free delivery for your first seven days of up to $100. And that is with no order minimum. If you're like I was tonight and you really didn't want to make any dishes, you really didn't want to cook, you just wanted somebody to do it for you, and also you want to go a step further and have that food brought to you, Postmates is the best way to do that. You go on Postmates, you find your favorite restaurant like, you know, Jersey Mike's or a nice Italian place like I had tonight, and then you just place your order and they'll bring it right to you. Anytime you're looking for something good, you're craving something special, remember that promo code locked on on Postmates. Download the app, enter the promo code, and you'll get free delivery for your first seven days of up to $100 with no order minimum. Next time you're craving something, anytime you want something, Postmate it. So speaking of that, I also wanted to pick your brain on that matter. We've heard a number of plans to get baseball back going. Most everybody who, like the Ken Rosenthal's, the Jason Starks of the world, are all saying there will be baseball. They're just trying to figure out the details of what that plan looks like. And I think a big reason for that is they cannot go an entire year without baseball because they're already losing money. They would lose a lot more money if they don't have anything on television at all. I think somebody said, and I think it was in an interview with between Bauer and his agent, I think the agent said television contracts for teams during the regular season are somewhere around like $2 billion, and television contracts during the postseason are around like $2.7 billion. So they really don't want to leave any of that on the table, whatever you know, the details are in that when it comes to the plans that you've heard, which one do you think, and, and this is kind of spitballing, definitely worth a discussion. Which do you think is the most viable right now? Um, just judging by what I've read out there, it sounds like the, the all inclusive Arizona plan is not very high on a lot of players, teams and owners lists and kind of like a, a last ditch effort. If they can't get anything else going, um, I honestly love the idea of the 10 team divisions with the East, Central, and West. And yes. what I've kind of seen is uh, essentially the NL Central would combine with the AL Central minus the Pirates. And then you would add the Atlanta Braves to that division. Um, I think that would be phenomenal. And I think you'd see designated hitter. I know Reds fans, NL fans, some of them don't like the designated hitter. Sorry, guys, we're going to have to suck it up for this year because. You know, that's going to be coming if you have a combined uh, division like that. And I think the Reds are more than capable than have plenty of players who could play that role. 
Um, I'd love it. I think you'd, you'd maintain that um, that interdivision uh, rivalries with like the Cubs and the Cardinals uh, and even the Brewers. Uh, you'd get the Indians in a division, uh, which uh, would also be kind of fun. You'd be able to, uh, I think one of the keys of that plan that I don't know how many people are talking about this, but just television alone. I mean, if you're keeping yes. the, the uh, you know, time frame within the Eastern and Central time zone, we don't have late night Reds out there on the West Coast playing the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Oakland A's. So, uh, you know, from a viewership standpoint, it'd be fantastic. Um, I'd love it. Uh, you know, you'd probably ex- expand the playoffs, and I don't know how many teams you're going to be looking at, whether it's 12 or 14 or something like that. Um, but I, I think it would be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, anything that gets baseball back, I'm all for it. But I think out of the plans that I've seen out there, that one would be the most uh, fun for me to sit back and watch. Um, and like I said, let's go. Let's have some fun with it. Hopefully we get it uh, started here in the next month or so. Absolutely. And that's the one that kind of gets my antennas perked up a little bit, too, is that the 10 team divisions, especially creating those rivalry, you know, enhancing the rivalries really. And there was something that I read too, like people were loving the idea of a Western division with the Astros and the Dodgers both together playing each other quite a bit. That'd be <laughs> hilarious. Um, but even more so than that, like when you read some of the other plans, they just seemed, especially the Arizona bubble plan. It's like, I think that works in an environment where everyone has like a Mad Max mentality or even like an <laughs> I am legend mentality, but I don't think we're there yet. I don't know. Maybe you are. I'm not. Um, but, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not there. <laughs> I hope you're not. Uh, but when when I look at the 10 teams splitting up and yeah, the DH is it's coming. I feel like it's been coming even without all of this craziness. And this will just be their excuse to officially uh, institute it league or you know major league wide, and then probably hold on to that. I don't know if they'll keep the ten team divisions past this season, but more than that, I love the idea that teams will actually get to hit in their home ballparks. If for nothing else, then we'll get to see that official spray chart that C Trent had overlaid on Nick Castellanos uh, (laughs) spray chart from last year and see just how many home runs he can actually hit in great American ballpark and not try to, you know, worry about the comparisons between here and Goodyear and, you know, wherever else they would have played in Texas and all that good stuff. But I, I, I want, I'm, I'm hoping that this all works out. This was actually a plan because some of the, some of the other ideas have been, you know, CBS Sports reported it, or some guy in Chicago who has a sports talk show and knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy decided to talk about it. And this one is actually being reported by everybody, that the 10 right. teams in the West, Central, and East. And we'll see. I, I, I hope it's viable. There's, you know, I, I don't plan to know anything about medical stuff other than the fact that I've got a wife who's in the medical field and she knows all that stuff. Uh, but I, 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 all I know is what I read, and it sounds like hopefully things are kind of getting better, and maybe that's just my optimism. But, you know, g- give me some baseball, man, because watching old games is fun, but I think my fun meter has kind of run out on those. Not to be a Debbie Downer there, by the way, but it, it, it just no, kind of has. You know? 
Well, you know the result at that point in time. I mean, we, we love mm-hmm. the 1990 wire-to-wire Reds, but we already know that they're going to win the whole thing in four games, right? So we know what the result <laughs> is. Let's, let's see a wire-to-wire 2020 Reds, then we can have a blast about that. It's like watching a Tom Cruise movie with already knowing the twist at the end. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, one thing that we're looking at this week as well, and it's kind of a locked-on network-wide thing that we're talking about, the best moments in franchise history. But I want to kind of even spread it out a little bit from there. And just your favorite moment, looking back as a Reds fan, that really drew you in. And it doesn't need to – no pun intended, by the way, Drew. Um, no, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't need to be like a championship or anything. Like, I picked Clenchmas, but that's just because I got the chance to be there. I even got Jay Bruce's autograph on the ticket when I went. It's not like something where I was like, oh, hey, uh, this was the best thing that happened in my lifetime. No, I'm talking about the thing that you're like, you know what, I, I, that's it. I'm a Reds fan rest of my life. What What was that moment for you? You know, I I love Clenchmas, and as as a fan, just watching the Reds, um, I loved that moment. I know exactly where I was watching the television, and you know, you and I are pretty close to the same age, so that was just a, a kind of a big breakthrough moment. But right. for me, I don't know that I have a moment that I can pick, but I do have a player that really kind of okay. sucked me in. I and I wrote about this uh, earlier this week, and that's Chris Sabo. So. Okay. Big fan of Chris Sabo back in the you know late 80s, early 90s. And I just remember seeing a guy out there at third base wearing glasses. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what in the world is it? You know, something for me, it was just very strange. And I, I never saw anything like that before. And then you can see that the guy can actually play and play well. Uh, you know, wins the rookie of the year uh, in 88. And, um, you know, I just remember going out in my backyard, putting on a pair of swim goggles and a Reds hat and playing catch with my dad, you know? So uh, (laughs) that's just always, I mean, I don't have a specific memory about a specific play that he had. I mean, obviously, you know, big plays, uh, you know, during the wire to wire run in 1990, but I just remember him as a player during the, during that time with the Reds and just impacting me in that way. Um, you know, those teams with, you know, Larkin, Sabo, I remember them growing up, um, obviously my two favorite players as a kid. And, uh, that's what I remember when I got sucked into being a Reds fan was, you know, like I said, kind of seeing the, what is this guy doing over there with those goggles on? And I remember putting on my swim, swim goggles and a Reds hat and going out back and playing catch. So I don't know that that's a moment, but it's a, it's a moment in time when I remember watching the Reds and kind of got hooked and in, to, uh, you know, following them as a team. Definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing too, because it doesn't have to be that moment players. I mean, I can look back and think of watching Sean Casey and watching Barry Larkin, watching Pokey Reese. Uh, and then, you know, in the early two thousands with Sean Casey and Adam Dunn. And I mean, Griffey too. I mean, I was, I was a huge Griffey fan as a kid. I, I remember some point in elementary school, I don't remember exactly what year, but I wrote a report about Griffey uh, because he was that awesome. And then whenever he finally came to Cincinnati, just the things like that that suck you in as a fan is what we're talking about here and, and what we're missing because, and, and, and to go way off the beaten path for like 20 seconds, last night I got to see the replay on MLB Network of the Angels and Mariners game whenever the Angels 
put together a combined no-hitter on the night that they remembered Tyler Skaggs. And they were all wearing the number 45 jerseys. And I just – I sat there. And and they even showed the part at the end whenever all of the players took their jersey – their Skaggs jerseys and draped them all over the pitching mound. And just sitting there thinking like, man, I – we need baseball, man. Let's get this back. Yeah, it was, you know, I remember that time, uh, awesome moment uh, with the Angels. And, I mean, you're right. The, it's, it's the moments that really make it. You know, what I'm sure some people love, you know, Pete Rose breaking the hits record, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, Benzinger back up and catch the, catch the ball in foul ground for the 1990 World Series. I'm sure those are all great memories for all the Reds fans. And those are what we need back are those types of memories. Uh, even in just a simple Wednesday night game, we might, you know, Somebody's favorite memory might be Scooter Jeanette's four, four home run game, which was also awesome. But, uh, <laughs> right. you know, uh, if, if you're asking me for a moment, though, I'm going to jump on you with uh, with Clinchmas. I mean, just Bruce, bottom of the ninth, steps up there, nobody out, first pitch, sends it over the over the wall. And, you know, we're celebrating all night long. But, um, yeah, awesome moment. Absolutely, man. Well, Drew, I appreciate it, sir, having you back on. What, what do we got going on over the Blog Red machine that folks can check out here coming this week? You know, we're we're following the news, obviously, and seeing, uh, you know, waiting to see uh, when baseball is going to get back. Uh, we've kind of taken a different approach, uh, going back and te- taking a look at different uh, players over the course of history. The best players to ever wear a specific jersey number. So we've kind of been doing that the last uh, couple of weeks. I'm excluding the um, the retired numbers, so like Larkin and and you know, so number eleven isn't included. And you know, we just uh, passed Frank Robinson with number twenty. So we're just kind of going up the list and. It's just kind of a nice little uh, trip down memory lane and seeing a few players who you may have thought, you know, wore this number or don't even know which players actually played for Cincinnati. So it's been kind of a fun exercise kind of looking back through the history and checking out some of the famous numbers that these guys were wearing during their time with the Reds. He is Drew Cook, and he is the Grand Poobah over at theblogredmachine.com. You can check out his work as well as several of the writers over there. They do a good job. Drew, I always have fun talking with you here on the show, and Look forward to having you on again soon, hopefully talking about some live baseball. Let's do it again, brother. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 